This episode, I cocked up my audio, so we're relying on Matt's version that he recorded on his computer, and it doesn't sound great, so just a fair warning. If you give up, I'm not upset at you, but thanks for bearing with us if you do listen to it. Here's the episode. It's not just the ability to control other people, because most people have that in one way or another. It's the right. It's the idea that certain people, it's legitimate for them to forcibly control others. Belief in government is a purely faith-based, indoctrinated belief. It doesn't actually make any sense in practical terms or in evidence or in logic. Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for the FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Everything we talk about on the show is in the show notes. You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps of relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later. So this episode, we're going to be covering a bunch of Bitcoin and crypto news, and that's anything from Microsoft's new ID verification platform, which they're building on Bitcoin, all the way through to Facebook's new crypto play. Hmm, yes. Uh, We've got a bit of tech news, um, some cool stuff uh, coming out of Amazon. There's also some interesting stuff with HP Enterprise. And yeah, then we got a bunch of transport on space news. Yeah, and that includes some really cool robots from Ford and even uh, China's newly unveiled maglev train. Mm. So we're also obviously going to touch on our normal pieces of Tesla, SpaceX and boring company news, everything Elon Musk. So <laughs> that'll be good. And we're going to round up with a privacy and security tool called MailDrop, which is a, sort of a throwaway email address service. And finally, Dan Dan, the ICO man, is back. We're going to have a call with him. He's rebranded himself a little bit. He's now known as Dan Dan, the crypto man. And uh, he's got an exciting proposition for us. So stay tuned to see what that is. <laughs> hey, what have you been up to the last few weeks? Oh, mate, n- nothing really. Uh, oh, yeah. Just, uh, just, you know, just the usual, I guess. Yeah. 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 May have had a first child. But... <laughs> Congratulations, man. How's, how's it been? Yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, it's been unreal. It's you just can't describe it. I know everyone says that, but it's it's really hard to describe. It's been amazing. She's just about a week old now mm. um, and uh, just she's a bundle of joy. Oh. She's, she's been absolutely great. Haven't got a lot of sleep, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's all worth it, man. Yeah. So we're just stoked. We're over the moon and exciting new chapter. So if I do sound a little bit tired and for those of you who are on our Telegram channel, I did drop off the face of the earth for a bit. Uh, but getting back on deck now. Mm-hmm. And how, how is how's Mrs. Matt doing? She's doing well, uh, as well as can be expected. So we didn't have too much medical intervention or anything like that, which was great. Mm. Um, she's just recovering now and you know, enjoying being a mum. So Fantastic. yeah, look, we've we've been really blessed. Like it's it's been an incredible time for us. Uh, lots mm. of 
well wishes from everyone that that found out uh and mm. even you joe you were very generous <laughs> we're a little bit struck down by just how generous everyone was and uh yeah how excited everyone was too so it's, <laughs> it's it's been really good it's been a really really good little period so can recommend uh if you're thinking of having kids can, <laughs> can definitely recommend it <laughs> uh, one new taxpayer has joined the world <laughs> no no no, no, no. <laughs> How about you, mate? What have you been up to? I've had a bunch of stuff online. Um, I've had a great time at work. There's one of our main competitors actually gave us a massive compliment on our marketing. So my work reward, wow. my work actually rewarded me for that. They bought a, um, well, they told me to go and take my girlfriend to a, a nice fancy restaurant, winer and diner, and um, give the receipt to them. So that's that's pretty awesome. Big. Where'd you go? Uh, we haven't been yet. Um, we're going to wait till okay. uh, we're doing a, a couple of weeks from now. But um, do you know where you're going? Uh, not yet, but I'm sure okay. my girlfriend will have some fantastic ideas. So that's yeah. Really looking All forward right. to it. Uh, what else? I've been going to the gym uh, on the masseuse's orders. She said that I needed to, because mm. I got sore back at work, and she's like, look, mm. honestly, you can keep getting mass- massaged, but just do some working out and get your back strong, you know? And I was like, all right. So my housemate took that very literally and has been been in pain for two weeks, basically. <laughs> and uh, no, it's been really good. And um, I also bought my first Tesla share. Now, was this before or after the uh, the bubble popped? Uh, well, yeah, it's the, it, the price is about the same as it's been, it was in 2017. So price has been going down a little bit because there's a lot of interesting news around Tesla. But I don't know, some of our long-time listeners will know, if the price is going down a fair while, then um, I usually try and jump in when, it's, when the price is going down. So, yeah, lots more to look forward to where that came from. They've got to be the most polarizing sets of shares in the world at the moment, mm, I think. Mm, mm. Everyone's got an opinion. Well, one of the pieces we're going to talk about later on has some really interesting news on that and potential projections on Elon Musk net worth. So we'll go into that a bit later on. Cool. So we thought we'd return to one of our previous segments. Every now and then we like to check in on some of the books we've been reading. Both Joe and I like to read a few different books and you know we try and pick some interesting and different things to read. So what have you been reading lately? I've been reading a book called Eloquent JavaScript. It's all available online, but I actually purchased a hardback copy of it. My goal this year is to learn JavaScript and to get somewhat good at it, I say that, um, to be able to do it on a basic level. So I bought, bought that really, really good book. goes through all the fundamentals. So I've been making my way through that for a, sh- uh, oh, a few months now, but it's a great book. What about yourself? Awesome, awesome. Um, I've been reading a uh, a book called Understanding Our Slavery, which is by an author named, and I think this is how you pronounce it, Etoine de la Boite. And uh, I'll just read the blurb for it because it pretty much speaks for itself. Uh, It says, Understanding Our Slavery exposes the hidden control system and pseudo-religion of statism used by organized crime interests centered around banking and central banking to manage the population. Using historical photographs, memes, and infographics, the book is designed to accelerate and deepen the understanding of 65% of the population who are visual learners. The book catalogues 20-plus techniques used by the Nazis, Soviet Union, East Germany, and the United States to take free, sentient children and indoctrinate them into a worldview that produces obedient taxpayers and classic shave-headed cult members willing to kill foreigners on command or enforce on their fellow tax slaves. Wow. <laughs> so uh, now, I f- if that all sounds... Wow. Sorry. I flicked through a couple of pages on this book and it's it it's actually very, very clear, very clear at communicating. So, Kiki, so how have you found it so far? It's been really, really good so far. And, and look, it seems to be very, very well researched and 
I've like I've really been enjoying reading it, and I think anyone that is interested in these kinds of topics, and or anyone that listened to that and thinks it's an absolute load of rubbish, I I would encourage you to read it because it's free. Wow. Uh, you can. You can get it on the website for free. He's even got a great little comedic piece about his copyright over the book. <laughs> uh, but you can you can leave him a donation in crypto, so he does have a crypto donation there. But, yeah, if you want to read the book, you can literally just go on the link we'll put in the show notes and download the book on his website and start reading. So, And you can also pay via cryptocurrency if you want to make a donation. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So he's got a link on the, that same page, which we'll link, and it's just I think he uses coin payments, and you can literally just tip him however much in cryptocurrency you want. Mm. for the read so yeah i'd recommend it if you're looking for something to read you don't want to necessarily spend much money on it but this topic interests you then uh yeah click on the link and have a have a mm. look mm. mate you've been reading another book as well recently haven't you yeah i've been reading a book called the barefoot investor and uh, a number of people here in australia you may have heard of it it is i've got to say it's it's absolutely amazing book it's, it's really really good i think you've read it too haven't you I have indeed. It was a brilliant finance book because um, a lot of the books that I've read of, of all, a lot of my favorite finance books are tailored towards uh, an American audience. So you've got, what is it, 401ks or, or mm. Roth IRAs and all those sorts of American products, which is really useful for Americans. This is specifically for an Australian audience, but got some amazing tips for non-Australians as well, like really, really good principles, really easy to read, really actionable. And it's not a complicated thing. It's not saying you've got to do budgets and spreadsheets and all this. It's like simple principles to control your money. Yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough. My wife and I have been working through it and we've we found it brilliant. We've changed. I've changed my superannuation funds since I read it, changed huh. my bank, and uh, yeah, could not recommend it enough. So if you're at all interested in Australian finance and particularly Australian personal finance and making your money go as far as it possibly can, can definitely recommend this book. Mm-hmm. You can see why it's been a bestseller for years and yeah. every time someone reads it, if they actually give it a go... They get so much out of it. So, yeah, it changed my parents' life 100%. They, they were a bit they were worried about their retirement and how they were going to be able to afford that. And the book brought them absolute peace of mind. So I can tell you without a doubt it's changed their life. Awesome. Yeah, and it is available as an audio book too and that's how we're listening oh, to it. Cool. So you can get it as an audio book and you get PDFs and all sorts of stuff with it. So all the visual stuff that he talks about, that comes as a PDF with the audio book anyway. Mm, awesome. Matt, is this investment or any other type of advice? So this is not investment, legal, financial, or any other type of advice. We're not saying you should buy anything at all on this show or do anything at all. Full disclosure, we're both invested in different shares, funds, and cryptocurrencies, some of which we talk about on this show. If we talk about an investment product, it doesn't mean you should buy it. So do your own research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and most of all, avoid the fear of missing out. So we've got a giveaway. We are giving away a Coin Storage Guru Safe Words Kit. Talked about it before on the show, and it is a really useful kit, which has where you put your seed phrase for any uh, cryptocurrency wallets you own. You put that seed phrase, you write two-thirds of that seed phrase on three different cards. So with any two cards, you can create the complete set, recreate your key. So what that means is you'd give you know one to your lawyer, you bury one in your garden and you'd keep one in your safe or give it to a mate or something. So you don't need to worry about losing access to your cryptocurrency. So we've got a number of these safe words kits and we're looking to give one away every episode for the indefinite future. So drop us a PM to tell us if you want it yeah. and we'll give one away to 
uh, one, one of our listeners. If you're on Rad here and you're new to blockchain and cryptocurrency, check out our Blockchain Basics series. It starts from episode two and continues up until episode eight. It'll give you some grounding in the fundamentals and help you understand what on earth we're talking about. Now let's jump into the news. So first bit of news, Microsoft is building an ID verification platform on Bitcoin. Yeah, so it's not launching a token or building this private blockchain to do it. It's actually building it on the Bitcoin blockchain. And the idea here is to make usernames obsolete. So instead of logging into Facebook, email, or any other application with a username, users could use a digital decentralized ID or DID instead. And so this DID, which is like a private key when signing a transaction on the Bitcoin network, proves your ownership. And there'll be individual nodes on a secondary network, like a layer two network, similar to Lightning, which we've talked about before, which will be responsible for keeping track of the DIDs and time stamping them onto the layer one or the Bitcoin blockchain for reference. While Microsoft's been developing the tech, it's actually open source and anyone can run a nodes. They're not actually going to charge a fee for the service either. It's a continuation of this trend we've been seeing, which is uh, a lot of organizations now are starting to look at the Bitcoin network as a really, really good, almost a central source of truth where you can begin to build what we call layer two and layer three solutions on top of it and just go back to the chain every now and then with the information just so you can verify it and essentially tether to the Bitcoin blockchain, which Mm. gives a whole bunch of security, but it means that you're not having to send transactions on the actual Bitcoin blockchain all the time. You're only Mm. having to go back every now and then. Mm. And that means you can run some really quick networks, which just call home every now and then to the Bitcoin Mm. blockchain. Didn't they also recently integrate the Linux kernel into Windows? What does that mean? Yeah. So Windows, well, Microsoft in general, have just been making a number of moves that seem really good, completely not like the Windows of old, and they've been playing around with having Linux on Windows for quite a while, and they, they tried to do it one way, and it didn't really work that well. So they went back to the drawing board and essentially said, well, you know what? Linux is free. It's open source. It's really good. Why don't we just integrate it completely with Windows and wow. allow people to run what's called the Windows subsystem for Linux on Windows? So that means if you're on Windows 10, you can click a button, and it will download an entire Linux operating system or kernel and you can start doing things with it as if it's a Linux machine. So you can open wow. a terminal, type all sorts of stuff in, and it'll run like a complete copy of Linux right there in Windows, wow. which is awesome for a lot of developers. Mm-hmm. Great. That's that's a really bold move. Huh. Yeah. So, I mean, Microsoft just in general seem to be making some a lot of choices that just seem very good. Like they're very focused on open source, very focused on doing things the community way. And I guess a lot of it probably plays into what they're trying to do with Azure. Oh, yeah, because most of Azure runs on Linux at the moment, doesn't it? Mm, mm. Mm. So it's in their best interest to, I guess, to keep people using it. Mm. Next bit of news, AT&T, the very, very large, I think they're the, the largest telecommunications company in the world, they're now accepting Bitcoin as payment for their 150 plus million subscribers. So yeah, AT&T customers will now be able to select BitPay as a payment option. So that allows for bill payment in Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. Yeah, they had 150 million subscribers um, at the end of 2018. 
So using BitPay is currently limited to paying bills for AT&T services. Uh, so you can't purchase phones or sign up for new service contracts just yet, but it seems like they're looking at that down the track. And it's not just Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin Cash as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And look, I've got to say, I've used BitPay for a couple of things recently, and it's just frankly cheaper and quicker to use Bitcoin Cash um, yeah. because Bitcoin, there's a better, I think it's like a $1.15 transaction fee whenever you want to use Bitcoin with BitPay, but Bitcoin Cash is free. I think that's because the fees on the Bitcoin Cash network are so much lower. So from my mind, it's making Bitcoin Cash increasingly more attractive for me as someone who keeps, you know, three, four hundred dollars in like a transaction account, essentially worth of Bitcoin. I just pay things out of that. It's probably going to make more sense for me long term to actually buy that amount of Bitcoin Cash and just keep that as my transaction money because it's it's going to be cheaper. Wow. Wow. Awesome. Going on from that, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Bitcoin Cash are now accepted at thousands of retail locations across the US, including Whole Foods, which is by Amazon, um, Lowe's, and Nordstrom. Cryptocurrency is now accepted as payments at tens of thousands of merchants in the US on what they're calling the Flexa network. And it includes those brands that we talked about. And it's being done in a partnership between Flexa and Gemini. And Gemini is the crypto exchange launched by Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss, who are very famously some of the most wealthy Bitcoin early adopters. Yeah, and now users only need to download an app dubbed uh, Spedden. I think it's Spend, spelled in, in a weird way, and they can make everyday purchases using, yeah, those currencies uh, and even the Gemini dollar. Yeah, and Gemini dollar is essentially their tethered US dollar stablecoin on the Gemini exchange. So it sounds like why they're, they're using that. But yeah, Tyler Winklevoss told Fortune, the idea of living on crypto is now reality. You can now do it. For the consumer, it amounts to being crypto conscious. It's like being green. And there's going to be no hidden fees or markups. So consumers will be incentivized to use the app. Wow. Wow. So yeah, they're bypassing all this existing infrastructure, lowering the fees. They claim that they're going to be able to reduce fraud and protect user privacy and um, pretty powerful. So, yeah, all of the funds stored on this app are actually custodied and insured by this Gemini exchange. So that really makes it so attractive to merchants, doesn't it? I mean, if you can go to a merchant and you can say, look, uh, we've got a payment method which is not going to cost you any more, it's not going to cost you anything to set up and you're probably going to have access to a new customer base who may not have come to you otherwise – that's a like a win-win, really. I don't see any downside to them opening up with Flexa, particularly when Mastercard, Visa, absolutely, are all absolutely. you know raising their fees. So yeah, great bit of news there. So the next bit of news, you can now send and receive Bitcoin on WhatsApp. Yeah, so WhatsApp users can now yes yeah, send and receive Bitcoin and Litecoin using a Lite.im bot. So yeah, that's gonna bring virtual currencies close to the everyday person who uses WhatsApp. Yeah, this is actually really cool because I think there's about 2 million, sorry, two billion users on WhatsApp now. Wow. So integration with WhatsApp actually makes a lot of sense, particularly in light of what we're going to talk about a little bit later, which is Facebook's cryptocurrency play. And we did see something similar with, what was it called? It was a Bitcoin Cash text transfer application. Oh, which- yeah, Cointext. Cointext. Yes, yeah, so if you can do that over WhatsApp, then it's pretty much borderless. You're not worrying about mm, SMS. Mm, mm, yeah. Here's a bit of a controversial one. Um, Bitcoin Cash miners have undone uh, an attacker's transactions with a 51% attack. 
So what is a 51% attack? Well, a 51% attack essentially refers to an attack on a blockchain, which is usually Bitcoin blockchain, by a group of miners controlling more than 50% of the network's mining hash rate or computing power. So that means the attackers essentially are able to prevent new transactions from gaining confirmations, which is you need confirmations for things to be written, to things to be verified on the blockchain. Right. And that allows them to halt payments between some or all of the users. Wow. And what it actually means is that if they've got enough computing power to take over more than 50% of the network, they would be able to reverse transactions that were completed while they were in control of the network, meaning they could essentially double spend coins. So you could send coins one way, reverse it, send it again, reverse it, send it again. And everyone who's getting those coins would think they've been spent properly because they'll get confirmed. And then the people controlling the network can simply take their coins back and spend it again somewhere else. So it's really unlikely that they could actually create new coins or alter old blocks. But so, you know, it wouldn't entirely destroy a currency, but it could be highly damaging. Yeah. And so to Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Cash is the fork of Bitcoin that happened in around 2017, mid-2017. Two of the Bitcoin Cash mining pools recently carried out a 51% attack on the blockchain in an apparent effort to reverse another miner's transactions. Yeah, it's tied to that hard fork that happened recently. So um, two mining pools, btc.com, btc.com top carried out the move to stop this unknown miner from taking coins that they weren't supposed to have access to in the wake of the code change. Um, So yeah, this attacker took advantage of this kind of unrelated bug, which has since been patched, but that caused the network to split and for miners to mine empty blocks for a brief time. The interesting part of this attack on Bitcoin Cash though is that it's was arguably executed in an attempt to do something ostensibly good for the community, not to reward the attackers or take funds for themselves. But not everyone in the Bitcoin Cash community agrees. Yeah. So, I mean, the one Bitcoin Cash developer who went by the moniker Kyara Promises, they actually wrote in an article, look, to coordinate a reorganization to revert this unknown miner's transaction is a 51% attack, the worst attack possible. Absolutely. It's there in the white paper. What about miner and developer centralized and uncensorable cash? Only when convenient? Yeah. And look, he's got a point because we heard this a lot from the Bitcoin cash community when the fork happened. And again, when the whole Bitcoin ABC, Bitcoin SV debate was raging on, there was, you know, everyone was saying it needs to be like the original white paper. It needs to be cash. It needs to be uncensorable decentralized. There are all these monikers and catchphrases thrown around by a whole bunch of the Bitcoin cash community. And then this has happened. And now a whole bunch of them have jumped to defend it and said, oh, well, it was used for good. It doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, like it wasn't used for evil, but that, I mean, my, my big issue with it is that this is exactly what EOS was criticized for by a huge amount of the Bitcoin community. It was that you're going to have these 21 block producers. If you've got 15 block producers, then you're able to essentially start reversing transactions. So if there's wow. a majority of them that want to reverse them. And that was like, everyone was like, you can't have that. You know, you can't have that on a blockchain at all. And now that's what's, you know, what's happened with Bitcoin Cash. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on it, mate, but I've just, I, I've seen even in the dialogue on some of the Telegram groups I've been around, the Bitcoin Cash supporters have kind of defended it, which weirds me out because it, it is very much against all the things that they were saying that Bitcoin Cash stood for. Well, my, my view is it's just it's dangerous to have that much centralized power because yeah. if it takes only two groups 
two pools of miners, of two pools of computing power to flip everything around, that does, I don't know, reduces trust just a little bit. I mean, I know they did it for good, but you, know, you can't always trust that it would be done that way. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like there's any any other mechanisms built in to stop that kind of stuff. So how far do you go along before you st- it starts looking like what central banks do to reverse transactions huh. and other banking institutions? Mm. <laughs> anyway, moving on from the controversy. So right. CoinGecko has introduced a trust score to combat fake exchange volume data. Thanks to TM for flagging this one to us. TM is actually the co-founder that we, I think we interviewed in in episode 31 of mm. the show. But yeah, CoinGecko is one of our favorite tools. It's a really good website with good data on different cryptocurrencies. But um, yeah, to combat all this fake exchange volume data that we've heard about recently, a lot of these cryptocurrency exchanges were pretending that they had more usage than they did with the volume information they were giving out. CoinGecko are launching a new rating algorithm called TrustScore, which is now implemented on their exchange overview and coin pages. So in short, TrustScore is a blended formula that takes into account exchanges of reported trading volume, web traffic, and order book deaths. So while trading volumes can be easily faked by rogue exchanges, they'll find it much more difficult to fake their web traffic statistics, which are aggregated by third-party services such as SimilarWeb, which is what CoinGecko are using. So the idea there is to not rely on a single source of data, but rather multiple sources of data and essentially aggregate them all together and that serves as a deterrent to cheating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they, they walk you through how they calculated these metrics, but it's really interesting. So what you can do is you can go onto a specific coin like Bitcoin, for example, and then looking at the exchanges that offer it, it will tell you sort of the trust score for them. So you have green for exchanges that have plenty of Bitcoin users that are genuine, plenty of uh, money available. So if you make a you know, try and buy Bitcoin, someone will have it available. So it's quite liquid. There's lots of money available in it. And then it will also flag, you know, exchanges that have been reported or are less liquid, there's less money in or, or busyness in them, I guess. Um, so it helps you find out which one you should use. Yeah. So the current iteration of CoinGecko's trust score places a strong emphasis on liquidity metrics and a step one in their multi-step approach to improving transparency in exchange data. There's more to come. So this is only their step one. And they're going to be looking to add more metrics to their trust score to improve its robustness. In the future, they're looking at trade history analysis, API quality analysis, cybersecurity analysis, and even user reviews and licensing and regulations, the analysis of their compliance with that stuff. Mm. So they're really trying to drill down and get a a, a really good top-down picture of how all of these different exchanges stack up against each other. Next piece of news, Facebook are planning to launch global coin currency in 2020. Yes, yeah, so this is according to BBC and a number of other news outlets have been covering this as well. So Facebook is finalizing plans to launch its own cryptocurrency next year and it's planning to set up a digital payment system in about a dozen countries by the first quarter of 2020. Yeah, so it wants to start testing its cryptocurrency and they've referred to it in, internally as global coin and they want to start testing by the end of the year. 
So they're expected to outline plans in more detail this summer, and they've already spoken to the Bank of England Governor Mark Carney. Now, founder Mark Zuckerberg met Mr. Carney last month to discuss the opportunities and risks involved in launching a cryptocurrency. And yeah, they also sought advice on operational and regulatory issues from officials at the US Treasury. So they're also in talks with the money transfer firms, including Western Union, as it looks for cheaper and faster ways for people without a bank account to send and receive money. How is it going to work? Well, basically, they want to create a digital currency that provides affordable and secure ways of making payments, regardless of whether people have a bank account. Yeah, in talks with a, a bunch of merchants, but um, there, there are a few concerns with it that have been voiced. So earlier this month, the US Senate and Banking Committee wrote an open letter to Mr. Zuckerberg questioning how the currency will work, what consumer protection will be offered, and how data will be secured. And they've also discussed the process of identity checks and how to reduce money laundering risk with the US Treasury. Yes, I mean, Facebook's been under fire for a time about handling of users' data, and um, so regulators are going to be watching the launch closely. But it's also believed that um, Facebook want to prevent wild swings in the coin's value by pegging it to a bar of established currencies, um, including the US dollar, euro, and Japanese yen. So it's not the first time Facebook has doubled in digital currencies. And a decade ago, it created Facebook Credits, which was a virtual currency that enabled people to purchase items in apps on, and other things on the social networking site. But they basically ended the project after two years because it didn't really get any traction at all. Yeah, they've, they're going to have to navigate a bunch of different regulations in all the different currencies, it want, uh, sorry, countries that it wants to launch in. So India, for example, have been trying to clamp down recently on digital currencies. I guess the biggest test is actually whether people will trust them enough to start changing their cash for this coin. Yeah, and look, they're in the initial phase of engaging with governments, central banks and regulators, and insiders admit that launching any cryptocurrency network by the start of next year is ambitious. And Facebook, Western Union, and the Bank of England declined to comment when BBC asked them. But look, the biggest thing for me in all of this is this term cryptocurrency. Like it gets bandied around all the time in a number of these news releases. But everything I've seen so far coming out of Facebook about this, I'm not seeing anything that resembles a cryptocurrency. Are you? Mm, no, no, not, not at all. It just sounds like a digital currency, especially mm. if they're saying, oh, we'll just basket it, create a basket and peg it to US dollar, euro and Japanese yen. Mm. And it'll be issued by us. Uh, it'll be controlled by us. There'll be consumer protections involved. There's no evidence it's going to be open source. There is, you know, a huge amount of potential for it though. Yes, definitely. Def I mean, their integration range is huge. And like they've got Facebook is on so many different application sign-up things. You can just use your Facebook account and it just does that. So mm. there's an integration pathway there already that a number of merchants and sites are familiar with. And there's also WhatsApp, which we covered earlier with the Bitcoin IM messaging thing to send Bitcoin. I mean, WhatsApp has a huge reach around the world, probably what, 2 billion people I think they had mm. the last counting. Mm. Um, and no one even knows they're owned by Facebook. <laughs> mm, mm, yeah, that's you know? true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess in from my perspective, I'm an ex-Facebook user. I've been not using it for about four years, in the well, four or five years. Mm. I deleted my account because I didn't realize I hadn't actually deleted it the first time around, just uh, just last year, I think. But for me, I don't trust Facebook. I, like You know for a fact that if it's a Facebook coin, it's going to be very heavily tracked. They're going to monitor everything you do, how you use it, who you're sending it to, where you're getting stuff from. 
it's going to be very heavily monitored. Not that mm. other blockchains, assuming it's on a blockchain, not that other cryptocurrencies aren't heavily monitored, but me personally, I don't trust it. Yep. And it's right there in who they're talking to as well. Mm. I mean, they said earlier on in the article, you know, they're talking to the Bank of England. They're talking to the US Treasury. And they're talking to Western Union. They're talking to all the people who've been centrally controlling currencies for hundreds of years mm. or who are who have been approved to issue and hoard currencies by the central institutions and who've made a bunch of money off it. So it's it doesn't sound like Facebook are trying to give money back to the common people or make money more open source. Mm. It sounds like they're just trying to find a new way to screw everyone over. Yeah. <laughs> and but having said that, you're right, the integration reach is massive. There are, you know, how many billion people are on Facebook. It's probably going to be a roaring success, much like what we say with would neither of us like Ripple, but seems to be doing okay. That's right. And look, if I was at Facebook, if if this was if, if this was my project, I probably wouldn't even do it with Facebook. I'd do it through WhatsApp. Wow. I'd, I'd make it a WhatsApp branding coin because there is so much negativity attached to Facebook and there's so much suspicion attached to Facebook. WhatsApp has none of that. WhatsApp, like I said, most people don't even know that WhatsApp is owned by Facebook. Mm -hmm. They don't even know that there's uh, a lot of dubious stuff around whether it is truly encrypted <laughs> or whether Facebook <laughs> just say that. Yeah. I mean, the founder of WhatsApp, he, he voiced his concerns a few months back. Yeah. So, I mean, but talking about reputation, WhatsApp has a far better reputation and arguably a larger reach than Facebook anyway. Mm. So, if you were going to do it through anything, I think WhatsApp would probably be the route to go. Mm. Next piece of news, the Russian Central Bank is considering a gold-backed cryptocurrency. The Central Bank of Russia are actually considering the use of this gold-backed crypto to facilitate international settlements, according to a TASS report. Yes, yeah, so the governor of the Bank of Russia said Thursday that her institution is to review a proposal for the development of the cryptocurrency. And the nation's lower house, she said, as a mutual settlements, we'll consider, of course, the proposal on a gold-backed cryptocurrency. But in my opinion, it's more important to develop settlements in national currencies. So, you know, it's a little surprising because, you know, the Russian government has been famously anti-crypto, but you know, it's worth noting that Russia have actually been one of the world's largest buyers of gold for the last few years. They've been, every bit of money they get in US dollars, they seem to be just purchasing gold and they have a massive reserve of gold. And you've also got to put this in against the background of the fact that they are increasingly paranoid about embargoes mm -hmm. and a trade war with the US and its allies and they're looking for any way they can to be able to stay relevant on the and, and essentially have commercial interaction on the global stage that doesn't have to go through the US mm. and doesn't have to go through its allies. And if they were able to use those massive gold reserves and have a digital currency back to mm -hmm. those, feasibly that could be a way they could do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's sort of Venezuela did it with their oil-backed Petro, so... Yeah, yeah, will it be a surprise? Probably not. So next bit of tech news. Researchers can now use AI and a photo to make fake videos of anyone. Yeah, so researchers have yeah, come up with this method um, using a trained artificial intelligence system. So yeah, this was at the researchers at the Samsung AI Center in Moscow. They explained the feat in a paper that they published this week. They said they were able to animate 
uh, one or several photos by first training an AI system on a data set of videos, including many celebrities, so it could learn about key points on the face. And after that, this AI system was able to combine that familiarity with one or more images of a person to come up with a convincing talking head style video. So a video the researchers posted to YouTube this week showed multiple examples of how convincing it can look, as well as how much is yet to be done. And impressively animated versions of physicists Albert Einstein, Marilyn Monroe, and Salvador Dali were generated from iconic images of them and essentially made to talk, which is pretty incredible. Mm, mm. And look, you really have to watch the videos to see exactly what they're talking about. Um, And we'll put the link in the show notes. But yeah, it's look, it's just another step in this whole deep fake and artificially rendered videos that just look more and more convincing mm, of real people. Mm, mm. You wonder what some of the maybe negative uses of this could be. I mean, you know, what if you're a political activist? Yeah, I mean, that's the big concern. I, I do see a lot of lawmakers and other people talking about, you know, getting out ahead of this and the issues it poses for, for privacy and et cetera, et cetera. But I'd be more concerned. To be honest, if I yeah, if I was a political activist or if I was a someone that the government didn't like, because you know potentially this kind of stuff could get used against you as evidence, mm. and and that's pretty scary. And I think this is probably going to impact a lot of the ways that over the coming years that evidence is viewed. Like video evidence at the moment is king. Like if you've got video evidence of someone doing something, that's generally enough to it's, it's generally considered irrefutable. Mm. You know, there's mm. there's no question of doctoring, but. Because this is becoming just so advanced and it's becoming very, very hard to differentiate between a fake and a real video, if I was a barrister or an attorney in the US in court, at the moment anyone submitted video evidence, I'd be bringing into serious question whether it could have been faked or doctored. Mm. And I think the assumption is probably going to shift from having to prove that it was doctored to having to prove that it was not doctored wow. because it's just, it's becoming so easy. Mm, mm. That sounds like an expert field that opens up in the future is um, expert witnesses in um, whether things are fake or not. Yeah, like video forensics mm. and all that kind of stuff. It'll be, be pretty interesting. Let's move onwards and upwards. Uh, DHL have launched its first regular urban drone delivery service. DHL Express, which is a very big international express delivery service provider and an intelligent autonomous aerial vehicle company called eHang, have entered into a strategic partnership to jointly launch a fully automated and intelligent smart drone delivery solution to tackle last mile delivery challenges in the urban areas of China. Yeah, so this new customized route, which has been created exclusively for, for a DHL customer, covers a distance of about eight kilometers between the customer premises and the DHL service center in Guangdong province in China. So using the most advanced unmanned aerial vehicle or UAV in Ehang's newly launched Falcon series, it essentially takes the one rate delivery time from 40 minutes to only eight minutes and can save costs of up to 80% on delivery. Wow. Just energy consumption and carbon footprint of road transport and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So yeah, the smart drone's pretty cool. Eight propellers and four arms, vertical takeoff and landing, GPS, visual identification, smart flight path planning, all this you know, fully automated flight and real-time network connection scheduling. There's a bunch of cool stuff in there. They've also been developed as essentially like a, almost like a plug-and-play solution. You can essentially get this bin like it's like this cargo bin delivered to your premises it just opens up at the top and there's the drone and all the equipment's in the 
cargo container wow. and you just log into your computer and a few signals sent to the the box and you've got a fully deployable automated drone delivery service. Wow. And apparently you can carry up to five kilos of cargo flight. Yeah. So expect, I guess, expect this in the not too distant future. We know it's coming, but um, it's just getting closer and closer and it could mean quicker delivery, probably cheaper delivery as well. Mm. So it's all good. Next cool piece of news, HB Enterprise have bought the supercomputer pioneer Cray for $1.3 billion US dollars. So in the beginning, Cray is on its own fully custom hardware and software stacks. And today the company functions as a high-end integrator, working with CPUs from AMD or Intel, but adding its own expertise in interconnect software and IO technology to create what they call a supercomputer stack. So this deal represents, what, 17% premium on their current stock price. So Cray's shareholders will be very happy people. But yeah, they're a massive name in supercomputing. They've actually transformed the industry Basically created the industry, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they're one of the biggest names. And it's obviously quite special needs what they do with the supercomputers, but it just shows the demand for these very, very high-end, very, very powerful computing services. And I think what they want to do is offer some high-performance computing as a service and through HP Enterprises solution. So it seems pretty mm. cool. It's where everything's moving. So it just makes sense. It seems like everything's... <laughs> becoming as a service now. Mm-hmm. Next bit of news, you can finally buy the first one terabyte micro SD card. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so SanDisk made that record setting card available through both their own store and Amazon, which is a huge amount of space for your MP3s. It's unreal. I mean, you think about it, a one terabyte hard drive, you know, generally it's like the size of what would what would you describe a one terabyte hard drive as the size of? No, oh, I don't know. Like, like a letter, like, a, like an envelope, an envelope or like something. Like a small book, I'd say. Yeah, 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 like a small. That's a good size. But instead, Sandisk have crammed that all into a tiny little micro SD card that can fit in a pocket in your phone. It's crazy. It, apparently, it's a U three rated. Not that I know what that means, but yeah, that means you'll be able to stick your four K video recordings directly onto it. Imagine how much GoPro footage you could get with a one terabyte SD card. Jeez, your battery is going to be a bigger issue than storage. Yeah, but yeah, it'll set you back yeah. four hundred and fifty US dollars or four hundred and fifty four pounds on Amazon UK, uh, which is more than twice as much for the five hundred and twelve gig card. But yeah, and look, if you're an iPhone user kind of sucks to be you because you still can't use SD cards in your phone. Ah, oh, that's fine. That's all right. Stick it on iCloud, you know. <laughs> Next bit of news, Ford's new delivery robot is fascinating to watch. Yeah, this robot's called Digit. It was created via a partnership with Agility Robotics um, to make a new autonomous method for delivering packages. So... The U.S. Postal Service delivered more than 6 billion packages in 2018, which was double the amount it did 10 years ago. This is probably because of all this e-commerce and all those other things that are in there now. So letters mm. letters have gone down, parcels have gone up. Yeah, so the actual volume of stuff that's being delivered has increased, mm. which I don't know if people would have predicted that maybe 20 years ago because there was all this talk about the Postal Service dying and all that kind of stuff. But Look, this video, you've, you've really got to watch it to see what it's like because it is pretty incredible. Like this little robot, it packs up into the back of a van. The van drives itself to the location. The robot unpacks itself like a, a droid from Star Wars Episode One. It unpacks itself out of its little rack and then it literally just picks up the package and walks it, kind of like a human, to your mm-hmm. door, drops it off, 
gets back in the car, packs itself up, and on it goes. I wonder when we're going to see the first robot kidnap, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But, no, it looks incredible. Like, just, yeah, car drives up. Robot gets out, puts the package off, and there you go. All the mailmen in the US are just going to get fired. Yeah. Looks crazy cool, though. Yeah, so anyway, go watch the video. It's really interesting, and it just, yeah, just another example of what's coming in the next five to ten years. And the thing that got me about this video, too, is basically like they had the the mum and the daughter walking their dog through the suburban, you know, idyllic <laughs> suburban surroundings, and then this <laughs> robot just walks past them with a package. And they just like, they acted like it was completely normal, which, you know, like you think about it, once this stuff rolls out, it'll be a novelty for a while. And then we'll be completely comfortable with drones dropping packages in our yard, other robots walking around carrying things. Kind of like electric scooters in Brisbane. Yes. It's it's so normal now that no one bats an eyelid. Yep. Let's jump on to our transport news. So first bit of news, a Skoda has launched an all-electric car for less than $20,000. Yeah, so they're the Czech automaker owned by Volkswagen. Um, but yeah, this is an all-electric city car. It's It looks quite quite small and, well, I guess, electric. But um, yeah, it's their first Skoda production vehicle, the four-seater city car powered by this 61-kilowatt electric motor. So yeah. So it means it's powered not only purely by battery, but also without generating any emissions. And it's a 36.8 kilowatt lithium-ion battery, and it gives it a range of up to 260 kilometers in one battery cycle, meaning that it's perfectly equipped for traffic in modern cities, but obviously not long trips outside of the city. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's their first electric car and the smallest vehicle in their lineup. So that's lightweight, should be pretty cool. Yeah, and I wonder if they're onto something here because one of the biggest barriers to buying electric vehicles, and I know like Tesla's a perfect example. You look at a Tesla, and especially here in Australia, and you think, well, I'd love to have one, but if I want to go on a long trip, I don't know if I'm going to just be stranded in the middle of nowhere because I haven't been able to charge. Mm-hmm. But what Skoda are essentially doing is saying that they're kind of leaning into that and they're saying, yep, you can't, you won't be able to use electric cars for long trips, at least not in the foreseeable future. So what we'll do is we'll make you a really cheap run-around electric car for the city and you can have that for like your day run-around. So it's really cheap. You don't have to pay anything in petrol. And then when you want to go on your big trips, you still keep your other car. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think they might be targeting a really, really good little entry point for a lot of people mm. who are looking at electric cars but aren't prepared to fork out 50 to 70 grand mm. for their main vehicle. And the amount that people are going to save in fuel is going to be crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Next electric car piece, Dyson. Their patents have revealed plans for an electric car with um, off-road potential. So the first drafts of Dyson's closely guarded electric car designs have emerged, showing a vehicle with unusual proportions that could be used off-road. Yeah, it looks kind of interesting. It, it looks almost like a Mazda, but stretched out a little bit. But mm. yeah, it kind of looks kind of sleek. Yeah, and there's some interesting elements to it. And, and Sir James Dyson is calling it radically different. But the car's very large and narrow wheels could allow for an increased range and efficiency, according to Dyson. And the wheels could be kept as close to the front and the back of the vehicle as possible to make the car highly maneuverable and improving handling on rough terrain. Mm. And despite that high ground clearance, the vehicle's overall height would be lower than most SUVs because they've got a larger, thinner battery pack, which essentially runs down further. Mm. 
Yeah, give more space. Uh, mm. Yeah, the driver would sit lower in the cabin with a sort of a shallow angled windscreen to improve aerodynamics. Uh, yeah, the patents were filed 18 months ago, but only published this week. So the cars are expected to launch in 2021, which is a year behind the original date, but it's all looking pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Here's a really cool piece of space news. There's this Australian-based company, Miriota. They're the first to connect to Amazon AWS, which is their web services, their server systems, ground station tool. It's essentially like a satellite control center. So they've got Amazon have built a number of satellite control centers around the world, and they're offering those control centers and the communication to the satellites basically as a service, wow. saying – Instead of you having to build your own control center, spend you know hundreds of thousands of dollars integrating all this sat tech, we've done it and we'll rent you access to that control server through AWS. So the same AWS that a lot of the internet runs on and all the developers are used to, we'll rent you that just for a fee like we normally do with every other uh, AWS service, which is really interesting, particularly for a lot of the IoT applications. Mm -hmm. So what, you can say so you can download data from satellites, upload commands to satellites, and I guess pull that straight into your regular AWS hosting. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it'll be really seamless. And basically, they've already integrated with um, US-based Capella Space, France-based Tens tells a linear space, and UK also has one called Open Cosmos. Um, they're all connecting to this ground yeah. station. But according to them, the service takes away the need for customers to build or lease ground antennas to communicate with satellites. So the great thing is this actually reduced costs for a lot of the companies that are trying to do stuff in space. I mean, Mariota, they describe themselves as global leaders in low-cost, low-power, secure direct to orbit satellite connectivity for Internet of Things. So if you've got, you know, Internet of Things devices that are located around the world, whether it's tracking your packages, you know, let's say you have a shipment that's going from A to B and you need to track it on, you know, ships around the world, mm. you can actually use a service like this. And Amazon AWS Ground Station could save a huge amount of money. Yeah, look, I've done some work with clients who use satellite services before and most of the time they have to spin up all their own infrastructure and negotiate a whole bunch of deals with other service providers and it really is quite complex. And so this could, yeah, like you say, just see a huge amount of savings and, and burden come off those services and <laughs> unlock more companies into AWS yeah, too at the same yeah. time. But it's really, really cool service. Uh, it'd be interesting to yeah. see if Microsoft do the same thing. And so riffing off that, SpaceX, who we covered a few weeks ago, their Starlink service, they're going to equal the launch revenue in 2020 and will make Elon the world's richest person by 2023, or at least according to nextbigfuture.com. Yeah, so we talked about this last episode about they were deploying 60 production versions of their satellite into space. And I actually watched it launching live at work, which is really cool. They're putting six launches out of these satellites over the next sort of six months. And this is going to mean that they're going to have hundreds and hundreds of satellites around the world, which will generate a huge amount of money from our reducing latency in financial trading communication. So high-speed trading or reducing that latency is actually profitable. So Elon Musk are just providing the, the facilities to do that. Mm, so SpaceX and Elon Musk may be made financially secure by 2023 and have $20 billion per year budget of NASA. They're, so they're saying that if SpaceX win all these NASA contracts, it gets $20 billion a year. And if 
Elon Musk has, you know, makes 30 times on his 50% share of SpaceX, then that would value him at over $300 billion. Because he's got the recurring revenue. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, it can, yeah pretty hypothetical. So, yeah. And then. Yeah. Even more hypothetical, if Tesla had any financial issues down then, Elon might be able to lend the money from SpaceX to Tesla or even use SpaceX to buy out Tesla or something stupid like that. So, mm. yeah. So, basically, Elon's, you know, even if Tesla fails, SpaceX is looking like it could be a huge market player in the next few years. By the sounds of it, yeah. So. Connected with SpaceX, Las Vegas has approved a $48.6 million boring company tunnel. Now, Boring is another one of Elon Musk's companies. Yeah, so they approved this contract for them to build the uh, LVCC Loop, which is an underground tunnel system connecting the Las Vegas Convention Center's new exhibit hall with the existing campus. So the project's expected to be finished by January 2021, a deadline that will likely make Las Vegas home to the Boring Company's first commercial tunnel. According to their press release, this tunnel uh, loop will comprise of a pedestrian tunnel, three underground passenger stations, and two tunnels through which autonomous electric vehicles will take people at speeds of up to 250 kilometers an hour. Yes, yeah, so the system's expected to cut what would be a 15-minute walk down to an approximately one-minute-long ride. Yeah, so, I mean, crazy. Uh, the Boring mm. Company does have a few other tunnel projects in development, one in Chicago, one in Los Angeles. There's a third one that might connect Washington, D.C. with Baltimore, but... um. None of them are as far along as this Vegas loop, meaning that this could actually be the first tunnel completed by the Boring Company. Yeah, and look, the Boring Company's whole MO is basically, look, there's not enough room on the ground, but there's a whole bunch of room under the ground, so why don't we build a whole bunch of tunnels to ease congestion and get people mm. faster to where they need to go? And this will be a big test for it, I think, over the next few years as to whether it works because... Mate, if it does work, I would love for Elon to get the invite over to Brisbane and oh, get him please. building a few of those big tunnels over yes, here. Yes, give us some tunnels. And particularly between Brisbane and Gold Coast. Yeah, I, 100%. <laughs> I do that drive quite frequently and it hurts so much that, oh, I don't need to go to that. But, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, boring company of they're slashing the costs to make a tunnel. They just didn't accept the tunnel building is so expensive and just yep. decide to slash it. So, yeah, crazy. Well, they're, they're reusing their equipment, aren't they? That's their big thing. They're not just like building it, doing the tunnel and decommissioning it. They actually reuse their equipment, don't they? I think so. Yeah, because most tunnels, they'll build it, finish the tunnel, and then just dig it off somewhere else and basically just board it up. Really? Yeah, because it costs more for them to transport it because they don't build it in a, like a modular way. Yeah. So they build, it's essentially just a once-off. So the, the Clem, which we've both been on, yeah. the piece that built that got decommissioned the moment it got finished. They just drilled it down and left it there. Wow. Yeah. That's stupid. I know. <laughs> hey, well, following on from this, the European Commission have been urged to develop regulations for Hyperloop projects. Yes, yeah, so a Hyperloop Transportation Technologies executive today presented European officials with a framework to jumpstart creation of deployment rules for the mobility system. Yeah, so they, they met um, with the Director of Land Transport at some European Commission mobility and transport thing, basically said, look, let's put some guidelines in so that Hyperloop tunnels are safe. They basically want the European Commission to create some detailed sets of testing and development rules so to make unified standards and things like that, just so that it opens, opens a way for, uh, for tunnels, I guess. 
Yeah, so if you haven't heard of Hyperloop before, it's essentially a vacuum-based high-velocity transportation concept which was first proposed by, surprise, surprise, Elon Musk, and then it was open source. So it was essentially given away to everyone and said, hey, guys, this is amazing. Go have at it. And there's now a number of companies, uh, including Hyperloop One, which is backed by Virgin's Richard Branson. A few different people want to take on this sort of you know, vacuum-based tunnel system and um, really excited to see where it goes. So yeah. deals, exploratory designs happening in places like Hamburg in Germany or Dubai. So finishing up on our Tesla news, Tesla Navigate on Autopilot, which we talked about I think it was last episode, although we weren't talking about the version that this is talking about. Consumer Reporters found that Tesla Navigate drives itself poorly. Last month, they updated their Navigate on Autopilot software to allow cars to change lanes automatically without actually warning or prompting the driver. So at the moment, it does. Um, so that means that they can navigate highway interchanges by choosing the appropriate lane. Now, this is because Elon Musk wants to get things to be full autonomous, so you know, drive itself from the highway on ramp to off ramps without any problem. You know, there are system warnings that come in just to make sure the driver still pays attention. But yeah, the consumer report said that it does a pretty poor job of changing lanes and that watching over the system and correcting its mistakes is actually more work for drivers than just driving themselves. Yeah, so CR's senior director of auto testing says that the system's role should be to help the driver, but the way this technology is deployed, it's the other way around. And it's not a convenience at all. Using the system is like monitoring a kid behind the wheel for the very first time. As any parents knows, it's far more convenient and less stressful to simply drive yourself. Mm. In practice, he says it's pretty far behind a human driver's skill set. But you know, I think what they said was that it was incredibly nearsighted, so it didn't actually react to brake lights. Uh, you know, or turn signals. So if someone's in indicating in front of you, it's not actually doing anything about that. And apparently it frequently right. cuts off other cars. <laughs> and I even said that when it was trying to merge, it would essentially be like tentative, you know, it wouldn't really commit. Uh, and then it'd creep over into the adjacent lane and then break to create some space ahead for itself, which it would startle and potentially completely surprised drivers behind uh, and yeah when it moved out to pass other cars it didn't actually return to its lane which is not actually well yeah and it also apparently passed others on the right when that's where there's a gap which isn't actually legal in some states several other consumer report test drivers on various highways said they encountered similar problems but it's worth noting that when the organization first tested it it was in november last year on the model s uh, and then elon musk said they'd update it and the update they received didn't seem to include the ability that Elon Musk has said has been updated. Mm. So, look, it's still very much in a work, a work in progress. And Musk said he's aiming to have the full self-driving capability feature complete in a year, which would essentially offer the opportunity for drivers just to jump in the car and go wherever they want mm. and do the robo-taxis, which we talked about last mm. episode. Mm -hmm. So, if these tests are an indication, Green Car up to saying that the timeline could be a bit longer than that. I mean, Elon's never said that it's perfect anyway, has he? Like, it's still very much a work in progress. Last cool piece of news, China's just unveiled this uh, new maglev train. I think it was a prototype that they've unveiled, but check out the link. It looks amazing. Yeah, so maglev, which is high-speed magnetic levitation, can dramatically cut travel times on mm. once it's deployed on railway lines. And... The prototype's already achieved static levitation and is really in an ideal condition. The deputy chief engineer of the project said 
at a news conference, according to China Daily. Mm. So they're building an experimental center and trial production center for high-speed maglev trains and expect to put them into operation in the second half of the year. So instead of using wheels in a track, maglev trains float on a magnetically powered cushion of air, which reduces the friction and means that they can reach massive, massive speeds. You know, like a there's a maglev already in operation in Shanghai, which can go at 430 kilometers an hour. Jeez, that's half the speed of a plane. Mm. So that's this unreal. new design would actually be able to exceed even that, reaching a top speed of 600 kilometers an hour. So yeah, that could slash travel times. And I guess if you like, if you take out all the taxiing, all the the refueling, the waiting in terminals, and all the mucking around with that kind of stuff. It could almost end up being as quick, if not quicker, than a plane mm. anyway. I mean, look at this. I think it was the chief engineer said. He said it takes about four and a half hours by plane, including preparation time for the journey. I think it was between Beijing and Shanghai. Uh, five and a half hours by high speed, speed rail, but it would only take three and a half hours by maglev. Wow. And if you look at this design, it looks really slick, really sleek. It does. It's... You know, we've already talked about dice in this episode, but it's what I'd imagine they design a train to look like. Yeah. It looks, yeah. It looks more. It's like a big shark. Yeah, it does. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's it for the news. Let's uh, get into privacy and security for the week. Yeah. So this week, we are going to be talking about MailDrop. Yeah. So you use MailDrop when you don't want to give out your real email address. So whenever you see something that says, please enter your email address, at least my default reaction, and I think yours is similar, Joe, is kind of like a feeling of unease, dread, or mistrust yeah. uh, when you see that. And that's there for good reason because email, which was once a value communication medium, is now almost entirely dominated by spam, marketing junk, and unimportant messages that do nothing but waste your time, clog up your email inbox, and make you miss the important emails that you actually should be reading. Oh, it's so true. I mean, you're actually trusting whichever site or app or whatever not to sell your data, not to give it out your address, and you're also trusting their security. We just heard news today that Canva, the website, has been hacked, but just more and more hacks, and people again, like all these people have your email address. Mm. So enter Maldrop to the rescue. So Maldrop is a free throwaway email address. It's temporary, transient, it's disposable, and it's meant for those times when you don't want to give out your real email address. So you just give someone any email address in their domain, come back, put the email address in, and you can see that inbox. Um, so you actually make up the email address. Yeah, and it's got no signups, no passwords. It's designed for no security, and it's designed for little to no privacy. Yeah, so it's just quick and dirty, a bit like the Shark Lasers one that we've recommended in the past. Yeah, it's just good to have. Nice little tool. It stops you getting flooded from stuff when you want to sign up for an ebook or something. Or mm. yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, so just obviously with these things, you need to work out what is actually needed for each different thing. So if it's something important, we wouldn't recommend using MailDrop because you may need to use the email address again. It really is just for those throwaway things that you're never going to need again. So what do you recommend for people who actually want to give away a different email address each time, but uh, but want to have something a bit more trustworthy? Yeah, so what I use is a service called 33Mail, which we've covered before on the podcast. It's essentially like a mail redirection service, but you have your own domain at 33Mail and then you can put whatever you want before the at symbol. So if I'm signing up for realestate.com, I'll put realestate at mydomain.33mail.com. Cool. If I'm signing up for 
happy tree friends. I'll put happy tree friends at whatever dot 33 mail.com, you know, so, but that will all come to an email address that I control. So none of the people that are getting that email get my real address, but mm. it all comes in to an email address that I actually have and it's persistent. Mm, mm, awesome, awesome. So, yeah, you got maildrop.cc if you just want to throw away one or 33mail.com if you want it to be a little more trustworthy. Yeah. Wherever you're joining us from, it's a pleasure having you here. Why not drop into our Telegram chat? Say hello, um, fomo.show slash Telegram. So um, this week, we've been back in contact with one of our Serial pests, I mean, serial guests, Dan Dan, the ICO man, he got back in touch with us. Yeah, he, he had a failed run for president the other month and uh, lost out to literally everybody else. Um, but yeah, he's he dropped us an email. Yeah, he's got, got a new announcement for us. So yeah, let's give him a buzz. Hey, Dan, how you doing? Joe, I am good. It is so good to hear your voice again. It's been far, far, far too long. Joe, how are you doing? Mate, I'm doing great. You know, just just usual sort of stuff. Crypto is going up a little bit, trying not to check my portfolio ever, but I still do. But, mate, more importantly, what's new with you? Joe, I'm still on the road, traveling around this wonderful nation, the US of A, and boy, my political campaign is ramping up, Joe. I know I've had some setbacks huh. with the presidential race. News came out about my recent incarceration, Joe. But as usual, I've lent into it. I've owned it. The people understand. So we're going again, Joe. The campaign is ramping up. Wow. Well, that is both surprising and um, I guess great to hear. Good to, good to see you there. So, you know, price has been going up recently. So... What have you had to do with that? Yeah, Joe, look, I don't want to talk about the campaign today. I want to talk about all the new hype around the crypto market and more importantly, what I am offering in this hype, Joe. Now, you see, with all this new hype, with all this new blood coming into the crypto market, Bitcoin's coming back up, Joe. People want someone to turn to, Joe. Now, ICOs, they don't seem to have the same zing as they once did, Joe. There's still plenty out there, but they're not really bringing home the bacon, you know. That's why I'm inviting your users to my new, private, exclusive Crypto Signals Telegram group. Whoa. So, so tell me all about the deal. Well, Joe, for the insanely low price of $5,000 in Ripple a month, you get access to a direct line to me, Dan Dan the Crypto Man, as I fill you in on all the latest and greatest altcoins and ICOs. But, but not just those, Joe, not just the ICOs, but the STOs, the IEOs, and Joe, even the AEIOUs. Wow. Basically... You get a seat at the cryptocurrency smorgasbord as I serve you up dish after delicious dish, Joe. I'm so confident in this product that I've made the whole thing entirely tax deductible. Tax deductible. Wow. How, how is that? Well, Joe, you see, all the proceeds will be going to my 2020 presidential campaign. Now, you can go to dandandthecryptoman.com, and you can see my entire presidential platform, Joe. You can see what I am running for. You can see what I stand for and what I support. And I tell you, Joe, it is great for the ICO, STO, IEO, and AIOU market, Joe. So you can claim the whole lot. Every single penny or XRP token that you spend on my Telegram group as a political support. So 
You're supporting a freer, more ICO-friendly world with access to Dan Dan, the crypto man's crypto calls, and you're also getting access to the most insane, the most incredible, the most amazing, timely, and sublime money-making tips you'll ever get. That $5,000 ripple a month, Joe, will seem like chump change after you subscribe to Dan Dan, the crypto man's crypto calls group. Well, Dan, do you know that's a, you haven't had a product out in ages, and I'm I'm glad to hear you got something out there, man. And it's it's um it's been far too long without you having something to sell. Thank you, Joe. Look, the phone's ringing in the background, Joe. Things are already going off the hook. I'm getting Telegram after Telegram requests, Joe. So look, your users, your listeners, they need to get in real quick, Joe. But look, I gotta go. I'll see you later. Um, so nothing's obviously near in Dan's world. Didn't he say he's Dan Dan the Crypto Man? Yeah, yeah, look, it sounds like he's gone through a little bit of a rebranding, I guess. The ICO mm. um, man might not have been holding up for him as well, so he's he's decided to be a little bit more broad. Know someone who might enjoy this? Please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump in our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. And on YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, please do feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. Okay. How are your chips? Ah, uh, chips are good, man. Chips are really nice. Wait, what what type of chips were you having? I so was curious. Was a little, like, so when we when we got to the hotel, they um they gave us like this gift package. A welcome mm-hmm. package or like a you know, happy birth of child package. And it's called Golden Hash Potato Grills, sorry. Golden yeah. Hash Potato Grills. And I like these like latticed potato chip things. Oh, that looks real fancy. Yeah, really nice. Really nice. Don't last long because they're oh, so good. Oh, yeah. Lattice. <laughs> I always finish them. Oh, there you go. Pepper and paprika, tamarind and chili. That would be a tasty-ass mm. chip. Mm. Hey, mate, can we pause for like a couple of minutes? Yeah. There's been a poo explosion. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. What's it? Just when you left. <laughs> like, that has got to go into the outtakes. Sorry, mate. There's been a poo explosion. <laughs> to, qu- to quote you earlier in the episode, I'd recommend having a baby to anyone. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I was actually like, when I was doing it, I was thinking about it, and I was like, no, I'd st- I still stand. <laughs> no, that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful.